Welcome to another episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Today we will be discussing something that seems to be in the air this time of year. We will be talking about marriage and the keys for marital love. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Jason Cargo. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Emily, all I know about love and marriage comes from Valentine's Day. <laughs> so, you know, um, we all, we grow up with this cultural idea of Valentine's Day. Will you be my Valentine, you know, and these cheesy little cards that you uh, send to each other when you're in second grade uh-huh. and you get little chocolates, you know, the little things that says be mine. And of course, as kids, you're just like, all right, I get a piece of candy. Right, and you're just candy. like, I can eat that up. Um, but uh, but n- this has become a cultural phenomenon. So right after uh, Christmas, uh, we st- see our, our stores fill up with all these red and whites and these chocolates and, and flowers and all this. And it's, it's all about Valentine's Day. And um, of course, uh, our our stores are full with uh, all these things right now as we get ready for Valentine's Day. I want to see, um, you know, I want to hear from you in a little bit about uh, kind of some memories of Valentine's Day. For for me, uh, I want to, I think one of the memories I have of the, is the last Valentine's Day that we had, February 14th. That was with my parents and they had a nice little setup in their house uh, and and I have a wonderful picture of my parents uh, underneath this kind of this heart, um, a red heart that was illuminated with lights and, and they're looking at each other and they're, they're toasting each other. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's like love is in the air. Mm-hmm. And then everything froze. (laughs) Everyone can remember that the Valentine's freeze, right? And that was the start of seven or eight days of just frigid, uh, uncomfortable weather and no power and all that. But yeah, that was a crazy time. And that's actually what I was thinking about is last year's Valentine's day. What did you guys do? Yeah. So for us, we had, um, we went to Bistro Lugo, (laughs) which was in our living room. Um, my children dressed up as waiters and they made the dinner for us. So they made ramen noodles and homemade sushi. Nice. They set up the table. We have this nice, you know, like Japanese looking placemat and everything. We took out the the um, cups that we used at our wedding for our toast. And um, they were our little wait staff. And it was so cute. I mean, they made everything from the menu. They lit the candles. And it was very, very sweet. We had a really wow. good time. So when, when you said ramen noodles, uh, are you <laughs> saying like the real ramen noodles? Like you'd go to a ramen place? Or are you talking about that little 35-cent package? Yeah, so I'm talking about the 35-cent <laughs> package. That was our appetizer. <laughs> and then we had homemade sushi that the kids made. Um, so it was it was really sweet. I mean, that was, you know, it was cold. This is the first time, I guess in the midst of COVID, we could have gone out, but we, we like to stay in and, and do stuff with our family. And I thought it was just really sweet. And the initiative that my kids took to really try to make it a special romantic time for mom and dad. Oh, that is so fun. That is awesome. And, um, you know, what do you, do you have any memories of growing up of Valentine's Day? Yeah, well, I think exactly what you said. It's more, you know, based on school and, you know, making the Valentine's Day boxes. But something for me is that I think I've, I've seen Valentine's Day, um, not necessarily as a romantic holiday because of the fact that it's so commercialized, but I do see it as a great time to tell those that you love and care about that you love them. So including family, including friends. And, um, you know, that's something that my parents would do with us. They would always get us little Valentines. Even now my dad will send, you know, Valentine in the card in the mail. And it's just really sweet to know, like, you know, your parents love and cherish you. And so I think for me, that's more, more than anything. It's just that time that if we haven't taken the time to tell someone how much we love them and appreciate them to do it. You know, that is so, so true. I mean, what a great opportunity, right? Um, you know, sometimes people get all worked up about Valentine's. I don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend and we have Valentine's Day. And, you know, this reminds me that I don't have one. But actually, it should be a, a reminder of just let's tell our people that, that that's in our lives that we appreciate them, that we love them and why we appreciate them and love them, right? Yeah. It's a great reminder of yeah. that. Yeah, and even in Spanish, you know, I think the, they don't just say Valentine's Day. It's Dia de Amor y Amistad. It's like love and friendship. Oh, so nice. So focus on that. I didn't know that. That is very cool. Well, I, as I said uh, before, that the, the keys to marital lo- love comes from Valentine's Day. So let's look at that, okay? So how do we celebrate um, Valentine's Day? Well, we celebrate it with... Um, 
all this fanfare giving valentines and stuff and but really most historians will say this comes from a 14th century um probably from a poet named Geoffrey Chaucer from England and before then there wasn't really much of a a talk about valentines day but basically the idea is that most likely around February 14th, which, which has been the time of St. Valentine, the, the celebration of his feast day, uh, that around that time uh, in that part of England, that it was noticed that birds would come together and would mate, basically. <laughs> so they ended up thinking, okay, well, if that is the case for, for birds, um, of course, things are be- beginning to thaw and, and, and warm up a little bit. And so you have all that. So I guess that's where kind of the origins of the birds and the bees come from and <laughs> the nature of Valentine's Day. Um, but, you know, let's look at uh, who is St. Valentine, because that's, you know, I think that's a lot of times that St. Valentine's Day is more than just about hearts and, and uh, little Valentines. But little cards that we send to each other. So who is this St. Valentine? Um, Well, he was a bishop and martyr from Rome uh, in the third century. And he was Bishop of Terni and Narnia. Now, when I I saw Narnia, I just, I couldn't help but think of C.S. Lewis, you know, and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I was like, Narnia, cool. (laughs) You know, Um, but Anyway, uh, he was under house arrest. This is a story, and it's kind of a little bit of a, um, a legend, if you will. We're, we're unsure how, how much of this is absolutely true, but this is a story of uh, how St. Valentine became St. Valentine. So he was under house arrest by this judge, uh, a Roman judge, Asterius, and his uh, faith was being put to the test. And this judge vowed that if uh, if St. Valentine could miraculously heal his daughter who was blind, that he would do anything that St. Valentine would ask. And so St. Valentine obviously asked the Lord to intervene in this, the, in this girl's life, and her sight was restored. And I can only imagine what Judge Astorius thought at that moment. Yeah. Just astounded, right? So the story goes is that then... Uh, Judge Astoria said, all right, I'll do anything. And of course, St. Valentine was most concerned about his faith and and, and gaining uh, Catholic Christians. And so he said, all right, I want you to smash all the idols in your house and I want your whole house to be baptized. So over 44 members of the household of Judge Asterios um, was then baptized. And then St. Valentine asked that the judge would release all of the prisoners, Christian prisoners. uh, And so they were all released. You know, that's, <laughs> I can't help but think that, you know, he's in this position where the judge is saying, I'll do anything you want. And the thing that comes to his mind is, I want all of you baptized. I know, exactly. <laughs> you know, would we <laughs> do that if we were in the same position? I mean, that's something really interesting to think about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, put, putting the faith as the most important, right? Yeah. And someone else's faith, someone else's salvation as most important above oneself. You know, that's what love is, right? So anyway, um, well, later on, the Emperor Claudius got involved and St. Valentine was imprisoned. As the story goes, he was helping Christian couples get married. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that was a really, um, that was outlawed by the Emperor Claudius. And he was also aiding Christians who were being persecuted. And because of that, um, he ended up being put to death. So he was uh, killed. He was martyred uh, for his faith because he helped people to get married. And so uh, we don't have a whole lot of extra knowledge about it. That's kind of the legend of St. Valentine. Uh, And so because of that, uh, the church has decided in 1969 with the new um, order of mass, the Novus Ordo, that we wouldn't have him on the general calendar of saints. So like you don't hear him usually on February 14th as the the saint of that day. I think it's a feral day. Uh, It might happen in some places, but he's still in the... um, officially the martyrology, the book of, of all the, the saints and his saint day is still on February 14th. So it's more of a secular holiday now, uh, but it is, um, you know, it does have its roots uh, f- from very early in the church, uh, celebrating this, this man who sacrificed uh, himself for the good of others. You know, that's um, something that's interesting because as I think most of us hear the legend of St. Valentine, but even as you said, you know, Maybe he's not officially in the liturgical, um, within the within the liturgy, but he is still recognized by the church as a saint. Yes. And, you know, I heard that 
he's not the only St. Valentine that we have. Um, you know, I, I have here just listed a couple, but I've actually heard that there's over a dozen. There's Saint over Valentine. a dozen? <laughs> yeah. yeah oh. Apparently, it's a really popular name, especially between the 2nd and 8th century AD. And if your name is Valentine, you could be a saint too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So if, you know, you're like me and you don't want to go out to restaurants on February 14th because it's going to be packed, well, you can pick one of these holidays, like January 7th, that's St. Valentine of Raetia, who was the bishop and abbot um, in the 5th century, or July 25th. That is the only female um, martyr with that name, St. Valentina, and she's from Palestine. Um, or November 3rd, there's another one, um, St. Valentine of Viterbo. Um, so, you know, they are not the same. They are different people. But the one thing they all have in common is that they are all martyrs which kind of goes back to what love is all about, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, it's um, that's why I go back about how the keys of marital life is about Valentine's Day, right? So because uh, what love really is, uh, is sacrifice yourself for the good of another, right? So mm -hmm. these St. Valentine martyred himself, um, which basically means he, he allowed himself to be put to death because he wanted the good of someone else. He wanted the eternal salvation of someone else, right? So um, so it's, it's really all about love, okay? So um, a lot of times in our culture, we think of Valentine's Day, we think of the romance, and we think of the dance, and we think of the chocolates, and we think of the kiss, and, and all those kind of cool things. Um, but really, Valentine's Day is about sacrificing yourself for the good of the other. It's about love. And that's the biggest uh, key, the most important foundation of a marriage is the willingness to sacrifice for the good of one spouse, right? You know, um, the first time that I heard that, I was in undergrad um, college at St. Mary's and it sounds strange the first time, but I think in my mind at that point in time, you know, romance was more of, you know, the movies and uh, what love looks like. And um, as you said, all the, what's caught up in that idea of St. Valentine's day, but I had a theology teacher that kind of made this big, bold statement and she pointed to the crucifix and she said, this is a symbol for Christian marriages. It's not the heart. It's not the rings. It's that. Um, and honestly, at the time, I thought, like, I, I didn't really grasp it. I didn't really understand. But as I was married and, you know, experienced just what marriage is all about, I really see there's so much truth to that because it is all about um, sacrificing, sacrificing yourself, your own ego, your own, you know, making yourself humble to that of another, not to be walked on, not to be a doormat, but because of love, it's this mutual self-sacrifice. And that really is the key to a holy marriage. Um, and you know, there's a lot of scripture that talks about it. And I want to point out one, which is one that I, I have to say in my younger days, I was not a fan of this scripture that I'm about to read. It's um, from Ephesians chapter five. Oh, I'm glad you're about to read <laughs> yeah. that one. That's one of my favorite ones. Well, <laughs> you know, when Felipe and I were planning our, our weddings and, and I'll read it so our listeners are, are aware of which, which one, but he wanted to read this one and I was adamant that we weren't going to. Um, so here is a scripture verse for those of you who are interested. So it's Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, and it starts out. Be, some more, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. And and many people will just stop right there. <laughs> but the key to this scripture is that you have to read it all the way through. Yeah, when when uh, when that's said <laughs> when that's read at mass, you know, a lot of times I'm looking out at all the, the couples and at that point the, the husband is like elbowing yes. his wife. <laughs> but it gets better. It gets better. It really does. <laughs> so if you read on, it says, For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. And then it continues. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Um, and it goes on. But I think the key there is, that the husband is to hand himself over to her as Christ did, which ended up on the cross. Mm -hmm. So not only is the wife called to be subordinate, but the husband is called to give his very life for his wife. And I think that is the key there. Um, I think at the time when we were <laughs> looking at wedding verses, I thought there's no way, you know, just this feminist mindset. But the more that I um, 
really looked at this and even we've had retreats talking about this verse, it shows that the basis and foundation is that you are mutually sacrificing yourself for the other. Yes. And putting each other in each other in their proper roles. And I think that is a really important scripture verse. Um, but I'm curious why you like that. You said that was one of your favorites. And, you know, and I think there's another verse uh, from St. Paul where he doesn't use uh, subordinate, but he uses submissive, right? Mm-hmm. Wives be submissive to one's husbands. Um, and, but both have the same meaning. So ultimately you have to look at um, what the actual core of that, uh, that word, both subordinate or, and submissive, because those are, are both very important. Uh, first is um, sub is a prefix meaning under. Okay. So, and so then recognizing that, then we say, okay, what does um, missive, it means the mission of, right? So submissive uh, being under the mission of, or subordinate being uh, under the, the ordered or the ordering of, right? So that's ultimately the meaning of those two words. And so this is the beautiful part, Emily, like wives are to be under the mission of the husband or under the, the ordering of the husband. And what is the mission or what is the ordering of the husband? What is it directed to? Well, you just read it, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved his church. What did Christ do for his church? He gave his life. He, he went up on the cross. He died. He, he gave his life up completely for the church, right? So um, this is not like a, a, you know, a machismo type of reading, but this is a, a powerful reading that really talks about uh, what authentic marriage is. You know, all the time um, I'm working with couples, Emily, where, um, where one, one of them is doing a lot and the other is not right. So, and that's not what real marriage is. Uh, marriage is not one person serving the other, uh, and the other person, uh, not doing anything to serve the, the, the first. No, no. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. That's indentured servitude or something, <laughs> I don't, you know? So, but marriage is really, um, the, is both, as you mentioned, um, dying to themselves, uh, looking for the good of other, trying to put the other person first and what their needs are. And so that's why I really like this. It's kind of a fun twist. It kind of, when people first hear it, their, their, uh, their agendas in their mind that they've gotten from culture kind Mm -hmm. of perk up. But when it's explained, what woman would not want to be under the mission of a man who regularly dies for her? Right. And um, and when I say dies for her, we're, we're talking about that figuratively, but it could be literally. But uh, figuratively, it means always putting her in front of his needs and his desires. Mm-hmm. You know, as I have reflected on just this in, in my own marriage, I I really feel like whatever vocation God calls us to, whether it's to the married life, um, single life or to the religious life, you know, that's our vocation. And that's also how we are going to be able to encounter sanctity and how we're going to be able to make it to heaven. Um, you know, we all have sacrifices to make. I know you have some that (laughs) I don't. Um, but this is one of them is, is being able to little by little put the other before yourself. It's really, you know, how you're, you're purifying yourself really here on earth to be a better person, to be able to put the needs of someone else first. Um, and it's part of our road to holiness and to be able to get to heaven. And, you know, I, I remember something in the beginning of, um, my marriage with Felipe, which I, you know, God bless him for <laughs> putting up with me. I, I remember when we were in our, our little apartment, you know, he asked me for a cup of water. <laughs> and I think my response back to him was something like, you have legs, go get it yourself. <laughs> you know, oh, how loving is that, Emily? <laughs> um, and I think I did get it for him, but I really, you know, I was reflecting on that. We probably had a fight or something about it, but you know, it's not that of course he's the ability to do it, but he, you know, he was asking me, he asked me for a reason. And so that's baby step number one, you know, let me think of someone else. Let me be able to go out of my way and do something for them. Um, and in marriage, I think there are going to be so many things. Some are going to be small and easy like that. And then some are going to be a lot harder. Um, but God prepares you for it, you know, along the way, giving you those small opportunities to kind of put your own ego down. But again, the key here is it's mutual that you're doing it for one another. Indeed. And, um, you know, I was just (laughs) thinking, Emily, uh, you know, there's all these little, um, 
notes. You know, I, I, I see these 50 year old couples who have been married for a long time and, and they're celebrating 50 years and they're happy and they're sparkle in their eye and they're surrounded by their children, grandchildren. And so I asked the, the husband, so how'd you do it? Like 50 years of marriage. That is amazing. And, um, one of the responses was, well, you know, we decided the early part of our marriage that, um, she would make the small decisions and I would make the big decisions. And you know what? In 50 years, there has not been a big decision. (laughs) (laughs) And he rolled with it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, that's kind of fun. Uh, A lot of them say, you know, the important thing is to say yes, dear. You know, (laughs) actually, it's kind of a it's kind of a funny joke. And and guys talk about that. But there's truth in that. Basically, you're saying, yes, you are more important than what I want to do right Mm -hmm. now. Right. I want I want your good and I'm going to sacrifice myself for your good. And so that's the. When, when a guy says yes, dear, hopefully that's what they're really saying. So um, I do think, uh, Emily, that there are some some keys. I'm going to say five keys now. Uh, we talked about the foundation, which is this sacrificial uh, sense of, of love, right? Uh, uh, and, you know, really what a husband and wife really are oriented to is to try to get each other to heaven, right? To pray mm-hmm. each other, to love each other to heaven. Um you know, sometimes a, a a spouse might say, you know, I, I'm asking you to do this so you can be sanctified. <laughs> like, great. Thank you. Okay. No. Um, but no, I mean, that's really to grow in love means to be able to sacrifice oneself a little bit more. And w- really, I think, um, to sacrifice, sometimes we have this idea that it's going to be painful and hurtful, but, um, yeah, there's a letting go of ourself that can be um, at that one moment, but the joy of being able to do that for someone else is mm-hmm. so profound. So these are the five keys I usually say at, at weddings, uh, and they're not necessarily for uh, the couple getting married, Emily, but they were for the the people present because they're meant to be reminders to all the couples who are attending the wedding. Hey, you know, this is some things that you should be looking out for. So uh, the number one key that I like to present to people um, is not what our listeners are thinking it's going to be. Everyone's thinking prayer. No, no. The number one key, and I really (laughs) think this is important, really, really think it's important, is that the couple needs to go on a date at least once a month. Una vez cada mes. So at least once a month, the couple needs to go out on a date. And you know, Emily, like the, the couple that is at a, uh, and who are getting ready to be uh, married and they're engaged and they're thinking about, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're spending time with each other. They're going on dates together. They're, they're not thinking about that. But as you know, having a house filled with children, beautiful, um, children going out on dates is more intentional, right? Mm -hmm. And so it has to be an intentional choice and say, you know what? I think it's, it's important uh, at least once a month uh, to go out on a date with one spouse. Yeah, I, I really like that. I've heard you say it before. Um, I can't say that I'm living by that rule, although I think it is one that would be great to do. Um, and, and it's interesting because, as you mentioned, when you're dating, gosh, you go on dates like multiple times a week. <laughs> um, but yeah, life changes and stages. And, um, you know, we've gone through times where when we had fewer kids, we wanted to go on dates, but it was just too expensive. I mean, if you have the traditional mindset of a date is leaving your house, because if we leave our house, we have to get someone to babysit and the expenses for that. And, you know, but it doesn't have to be that. I think maybe that's part of the the key here, if if you really want to make it where you go on a date once a month is try to think outside the box. You know, if you can't get out, well, put the kids to bed, you know, put light some candles, sit down at the table, talk with one another or go outside on your patio. I mean, there are different ways to have dates. Um, you know, I'd say for Felipe and myself, you know, we don't do that. Um, again, I would love to. But what we actually end up doing is about once a year we'll end up just doing a couple's vacation where we get away like a big one, you know, we'll, 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 we love going on cruises or we'll fly somewhere. And it's just like, that's time for us to nurture our relationship. And, um, I mean, I don't know if it's ideal father Jason by yours, but I like it. (laughs) It kind of resets it, you know, where you're not just mom and dad, but you're really nurturing that relationship that you have with one another. Yes. 
I'm sure some of our listeners know the the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, mm-hmm. right? And um, such a fun uh, movie. You know, there is this uh, character Tula, and and she meet, meets this guy Ian. And if you don't know the movie, Tula's from this big Greek family, and uh, everyone's named Nico or Nicholas <laughs> or whatever. And Ian is from this uh, Anglo uh, one person family, and uh, uh, very quiet family. So you have a loud, huge family, lots of extended people, very, and then you have this, uh, you know, very small, um, a quiet family. And so the two of them get together, but, uh, it's a lot of fun. That, that movie is so fun to watch. I mean, lots of comedians woven in. If you haven't watched that movie, you should, you should uh, take it out on a, a frozen, uh, February day and, <laughs> and, uh, watch them, watch the movie. But there's a second version of that where, they have a, a child, uh, Paris is her name, and Paris is now probably getting, she's getting ready to go off to college. And so they're about to be empty nesters. And um, Tula and Ian have been spending their time just, uh, you know, focusing on the fa- on Paris growing up and the rest of the family. And they they forgot that they were lovers. They f- had forgotten to, to go on, on, on dates. And so Ian may, puts his foot down and says, all right, Tula, we're going out. We're going to go on a date and we can't talk about Paris. Now that's, that's the hard thing. Like as, as a, as a couple, a lot of times, um, when you go out on these, uh, date nights as a couple or date retreats, um, as a couple, a a lot of times you want to start talking all about, you know, your children doing this, what they're going to, what's the next activity and this and that and how they're doing in school and uh, you know, how they're the greatest soccer player ever or or whatever it might be. And well, no, the the whole point of the date night is um, not to talk about the children, but to talk about each other and, and one's dreams and to reacquaint and to re kindle that that relationship as beloved and belover right yeah i love that we we do make that a rule whenever we go out on dates is to not talk about the kids i mean somehow it'll randomly come up but intentionally because it's so true that's the center of your life when you're parents and i think it is really important that as a couple you take that time to reconnect um you know early on in our marriage i had a friend of mine um kind of talk about the importance of marriage and how she mentioned that Marriage is a sacrament. You know, it's between you and your spouse. Being a parent is not a sacrament. <laughs> you know, so when you, you need to kind of prioritize like the importance it is to really take care of that relationship. And um, one of the books that I want to recommend is called 10 Great Dates. And it's by David and Claudia Arp. And actually several years ago here at St. Joseph, we had um, this program where we read that book and it was 10 nights where we'd gather at the parish and they provided childcare. So Felipe and I signed up for that. And, um, and you would kind of meet as a starting point, and then you went off on your date with your with your spouse, or and you would read from this book, and they actually have prompts for like different conversation pieces that to help sweet. you reconnect. So is that once a, a month that you guys so did it? I or? can't remember how they had it. If it was like ten night, you know, ten weekends in a row, it was on you know a Friday night. It was it was incredible. I keep bugging them to to bring it back. <laughs> um, but even without the program, you can buy the book online on Amazon or whatever. But um, 10 great dates. So basically each date, it has just different conversation pieces just to help you get to know people. Because even if, you know, at the start of our marriage, this was my favorite color and that was yours, or this is something I was really passionate about, you know, we change as people. And so just kind of finding out like who you are again so that you don't wake up one day when your kids go off to school and you're with a stranger. Yes. Yes. You know, I think uh, a lot of times when uh, a couple divorces after 10 years of marriage and or 15 years of marriage, a lot of times it's because they've stopped relating to each other as mm-hmm. as lovers and and they 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 only related to, to each other as partners and raising their children. Right. So as mom and dad, you know, I, this brings up a, a story. I remember when I was a missionary in Canada and this um, this uh, family therapist was telling us about how uh, this one family who's a great family, um, how they they really were trying to do everything right and well, but they were struggling because one of their children kept on wanting to uh, sleep in their bed with a mom and dad, right? With, with a husband and wife. And they were trying to train the child to, to sleep in their own room and the child just refused to do so. And it was just baffling them. So they, they, um, 
so the, the, the therapist said, well, let me come over and just kind of watch what, how you handle the, the day. And, and so what would happen is the, the husband would come home from work. The, the wife was already at home and, um, preparing a meal and the husband would, um, kiss the wife real quickly and say hello. And then would go and, and just hang out with the children and, and play with the children until it was time for dinner. And then it was, they had dinner and they, they prayed together as a family and then time to put the kids to bed. The kids went to bed. And then after the kids were in bed, um, mom and dad had time together. Um, the husband and wife had time together and they, they spent that, that time, um, for an hour and a half, two hours, and then they went to bed and then the kid would snuggle in with them. <laughs> and the, the therapist said, well, how about you try this? Instead of you coming home and kissing your wife, uh, how about you come home, give your children hugs and kisses, and then sit down with your wife for 10 or 15 minutes and just kind of connect on how the day has gone and then go about the regular schedule. And in this particular case study, the, the child stopped almost immediately from snuggling in bed. And because the reason is because what the children want to see more than anything is mom and dad loving each other. Huh. And because mom and dad were loving each other, but it was without, without, not within the sight of the children, you know? So um, it's kind of interesting, you know, that's what the children most want and most need is to be, because there's a connectedness between in their little minds that if mom and dad loves each other, then mom and dad loves me. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting. So uh, it's kind of like also we've all been there where a, a teenager or middle schooler uh, uh, sees mom and dad like give each other a big kiss and they're like, oh, gross, <laughs> you know, but they're actually saying, yes, mom loves me. <laughs> dad loves mom and mom loves dad and dad loves me, you know, so um you know, don't, that's what they're saying when they're saying, ooh, gross. You know, it's interesting because I could say probably every single one of my children when they were little had at some point or another done it where they've actually like pushed my head and Philly face head together to kiss. You know, it's like they want to see that. So that's interesting. Um, I guess I, I was, I, I didn't think that was where the therapist was going to go in that situation. Um, but it's so true, just maybe having that security that the parents love one another. Yes, indeed. So so that's the first thing is these date nights. Um, and I think that is uh, so important, so good. So number two is, the uh, second key is to pray together. And of course, you, you guys knew this was coming, okay? And the reason why I think this is important is, is about intimacy. Uh, so... Uh, physical intimacy in marriage is necessary. It's part of our uh, nature as embodied creatures. Your attraction to each other is wonderful and beautiful and good and holy. Uh, you know, as long as it's done within the confines of marriage. Someone told me one time that that, that uh, attraction is kind of like... Um, fire in a fireplace, right? Um, the kind of the, the physical uh, love between a man and woman is kind of like a fire in a fireplace. If it's in its right spot, the fire brings warmth and, and it brings um, a, a glow to the room, right? But if you take the fire out of the fireplace and you put it on the curtains, <laughs> it brings destruction. <laughs> there might be uh, some glow and warmth, uh, but it will end, end up uh, destroying. And, and that is the case uh, within the physical component within marriage uh, versus outside of marriage. So we know intimacy is physical. We know intimacy is emotional, like sharing our feelings. Uh, guys oftentimes have a stereotype of not being open to their feelings. And some guys have a hard time with that. Some women have a hard time with that. But, you know, being able to share intimately, this is how I'm feeling. I understand this is how you're feeling. Right. And, um, that's not necessarily just a, a, a technique for arguments or something or anger, but even if, if someone is filled with joy, you're like, I see that you're so happy, you know, and, uh, you know, share with me what, what's, why, what's going on that makes you so happy? Or, or, or if someone is, um, you know, just kind of pensive or whatever, you know, that ability to share is a form of intimacy, but, experiential intimacy as well, doing things together, intellectual, uh, studying things together. You know, some, some couples like to study together, uh, different concepts, but there's a spiritual intimacy. We're made mind, body, and soul. And so if we're not praying together, we're not being intimate in the soul. And that's the, that's a real important thing. And I think spousal prayer is a little bit different than family prayer. 
you know, when you're first starting out and you have, um, you know, it's just you and your, your spouse. Well, that's, that is spousal prayer and family prayer together. But once you start having, um, little bambinos, well, you know, the, <laughs> the, the family prayer becomes a little bit different and spousal prayer needs to be unique from that, um, because your intimacy, uh, as spouses requires it. And so, um, so what are some thoughts that you have with regards to, um, this different type of, of spiritual intimacy, Emily, what are some, some prayers that couples can do? Yeah. So this kind of makes me think about whenever, um, I was engaged or most people go through the engaged process. There's actually a little book that they'll give them, um, which includes prayers to pray together. Uh, but it, for many, it doesn't really become a part of their family life, but it could be something easy. It makes me think about when we had Deacon John visiting and he talked about how him and Marianne do liturgy of the hours together. Um, or some families have the devotion of a rosary, you know, praying a rosary together. Um, I like to go on retreats with Felipe. That's something that we'll do with our community is um, every year they have a, a couple's retreat. And it's that time where we can just really focus on one another and focus on God. And, you know, we've done, you know, different scripture or different books that we've kind of focused on. One is called Love and Respect that I think is another great book for people, especially if they're having some difficulties. Um, but just taking the time um, to just talk to the Lord, but together. But, you know, I do have a question, Father Jason. Sure. Because, like, for me, this this kind of, you know, seems to be easy. But what if you're married to someone who is not a believer? Like, how do you enter into that spiritual intimacy with them? Yeah, you know, that's that's tough. Um th- Ultimately, you know, the church does allow for marriages between persons that are uh, who's Catholic and non-Catholic, right? And between a a Catholic Christian and a non-Christian even. But we have to go through special um, processes to get a dispensation. You know, the church does see that the ideal and what we really should be shooting for is for a Catholic to marry to a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the dispensation is is granted uh, regularly from uh, the bishop's office, but it is a dispensation. The, the bishop is granting that uh, for a Catholic to marry a non-Catholic. Why? Why is it a dispensation? Why is it not normal? Well, the reason is because of sharing intimately the spiritual life to be able to, to pray a rosary together, to be able to pray the liturgy of the hours together, be able to pray, be in Eucharistic adoration and, and kneel down in silence together. Uh, that's a beautiful thing, but we do know that there are couples that have, uh, this dispensation, uh, where there you have a, a, a Catholic and a non-Catholic Christian. Well, in that case, Meet the, meet the commonplace, you know, talk with your spouse and say, okay, what can we do together with, that you're comfortable with and that I'm comfortable with? Uh, a non-Catholic Christian and a, and a Catholic Christian certainly would be comfortable reading from scripture together, right? And where you could read from, a, from a, a, the, the gospel and you can read a paragraph and you can kind of talk about it and then pray the Lord's Prayer together. That is a, a very simple um, prayer that a, a a Catholic Christian and a non-Catholic Christian could could implement um, spontaneous prayer too, right? Um, I'm not talking about breaking out in tongues, you know, <laughs> or anything like that. Someone, um, I won't go there. I was going to say someone taught me a way to speak in tongues when you don't really speak tongues. So. But uh, um, I just say really quickly, should have bought a Honda, bought a Hyundai, and and that ends up sounding like tongues. Um, we'll let you guys listening try that. But, uh, but <laughs> gra- sorry, I'm a part of a charismatic community and <laughs> I find that funny. Should have bought a hundred, about a hundred, should have bought a hundred, about a hundred. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, so no, you can grab, uh, the hand of your, your spouse and, and you can just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you for my, my wife. And I thank you for my husband. And I, I just thank you for the fact that, that today that she was able to, uh, have this opportunity and, and do this and, and that she was so thoughtful and so good. And I thank you so much, Lord, for blessing me with her and and what a grace and gift she is. What a grace and and beautiful and strong man, um, he is for, uh, uh, doing all the honeydew lists that I've been doing, (laughs) writing for him, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but that spontaneous prayer is something they can do now. It becomes more difficult. Granted, if you have, uh, a non-Christian that becomes much more difficult, um, than, uh, to have some sort of spiritual intimacy. Cause then you're, you're going to be looking at how you still need to look at how can you 
go as far as possible with a, a spiritual life. Are they a believer in God? If if they if let's say if they're Jewish, then you can maybe pray the Old Testament and and, and read through the Old Testament just like the the Gospel. Maybe you can just talk to God in the spontaneous prayer. If they're uh, agnostic or atheistic, well, uh, that becomes a lot more difficult. Then I still think you could as a couple just enjoy natural meditation where you're just in the midst of nature and just have uh, five minutes in silence or 10 minutes in silence together. Uh, that, that is a way of, uh, of going in that direction too, but it becomes a little bit more difficult. And there are couples who probably even listening here where one spouse is, has decided to become atheistic and or agnostic and is not a believer. And that becomes much more difficult. You know, I just want to, pop in a few things. You were mentioning the spontaneous prayer. And I think what you gave, all of those are great examples of ways that you can pray, you know, wherever you are in your spiritual life, you can find something that's comfortable. Um, But I have to say for the marriage retreats that we go on, spontaneous prayer, we have a, a, maybe it's not spontaneous in the sense that, hey, um, we just start praying for them. But it's part of the retreat is where you actually pray over your spouse and I think that is so beautiful because as you said, part wait, of wait, it, wait, wait, are you exercising your spouse? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is that, is that you're, you're praying over. So like you take, remove you know, the devil from him. <laughs> you, you lay your hands on them. You know, okay, you're praying, yes. you're praying for them. You know, maybe part of that is a prayer of Thanksgiving. You know, thank you, Lord God, for blessing me uh, with this person in my life. And you could do prayers of Thanksgiving and you could pray specifically for if there are things that, you know, are troubling them or troubling your marriage. Um, but that's something for me that I've always felt has been so very powerful. Um, and maybe a little bit of that exorcism in there, because when we have fights, (laughs) this is my new, not my new thing, but this something I learned was if we are in a fight and it seems like, ah, it's, it's just very difficult. I will stop and say, can we pray? <laughs> let's, let's call the Lord down and have him be a part of this conversation um, to maybe exercise any negativity that we have here to really help us think clearly. Well, I think that's, I mean, we do believe that the, the devil and, and the demons are always trying to get us away from the good, right? And so, and attachments in, uh, to uh, evil or sin, um, wherever they might uh look, that is kind of in need of being delivered, right? So that's what a minor exorcism and to uh, spouses certainly know that about each other, right? Uh, their own weaknesses, their own struggles, their maybe even some addictions. And so certainly I'm praying over and that is uh, very real. That's, and also asking the Holy Spirit to move in power, you know, boy, that I've, I've been prayed over and, and the Holy Spirit moved in my life and whoo, <laughs> I'm a new man. So anyway, so that's the second one is pray together. Emily, I think we're going to go a little bit longer on this uh, session. So I, I think we're going to go for a full hour if, if you're all right with this. Um, n- number three uh, is to be spontaneous. Now, I, I think this is um, before. I think this is so important. What, what does this mean? Okay. To be spontaneous is to look for opportunities to do stuff together, which is out of the ordinary. Okay. So, uh, this is a part of the experiential intimacy, but, um, and it could be romantic or it could be, um, just fun and laughter. It could be, uh, something totally different. That is, that is kind of a difficult thing that you work together to do. But, uh, these are, um, these spontaneous things will be like leaven for one's relationship. So uh, I remember one time in the, in the, the diocese of Dallas, I think this must've been about 15 years ago where the diocese brought in um, this, um, this counselor, this therapy therapist who specializes in sexology and basically was just saying that helping us as priests to recognize what causes attractions Right. And she was saying that uh, if you live a bore, boring, dull, routine life, uh, attractions go away. (laughs) So you might be thinking if you're listening like, uh, yeah, you know, we've been doing the same thing every single day. And you know what? That kind of um, erotic spark that has kind of been missing a little bit. Um, Eros has kind of run away from us. Um, Well, this means you need spontaneity. You know, the whole courting thing that couples do when they're dating, what is dating? Well, it's risking going a little bit farther, 
trying to understand the other person, doing something crazy, something you would not have done. It's, it's all these new spontaneous things that end up causing uh, this growth and development in, in attraction. Uh, there are all sorts of models that show that uh, attraction uh, kind of initially peaks really high and then there's this uh, down curve. But that's because a lot of couples just get into a routine and they're, they're not uh, becoming a new and novel again to each other. And so the idea is, that, okay, how can, how can at different times, can we do little things that will kind of excite interest, become new and novel? So um, what are some of those things? Uh, because, you know, it's more fun if you're romantically attracted to each other, right? I mean, that's part of marriage. It's, it, it's how God intended us to be. So I want couples that get married at St. Joseph to be, 85 years old and like so um, infatuated with each other <laughs> that they want to uh, continue to, to grow in love, right? And so some of these things that I, I just throw out, some ideas would be, um, you know, uh, for no reason, turn on the that radio, it, that song that you love as a couple starts playing on the radio, just grab your, your spouse and start dancing in the middle of the the dance in the middle of the living room or, um, or for no reason, uh, just simply write a note and, and tell your spouse how much, uh, you love him or her, or for no reason, do that extra little thing just to clean up, not without, you know, not to be asked, uh, but without being asked, but just to do it because you, you want to show, uh, your spouse some special attention. So these spontaneous different things, you know, even I've, I've gotten some of these social media date packages on, um, on online. I don't know why, but I probably was looking for, um, things for the parish. And I remember seeing one where they're, they're like cooking one, the one spouse is blindfolded and the other is, is helping them cook. Right. <laughs> and it, and it's an experiential, spontaneous kind of new novel thing. And it, it causes them to, to even the, the date packages that you were talking about, you know, where you have d- discussions and things. The other thing that uh, they were talking about as well with this is, you know, um, what also develops this attraction is spending time just uh, looking at each other, just spending time in that conversation, that also uh, kind of creates this kind of uh, attraction. So I think to me, this is a very, very important uh, part of marital life. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening, um, who's married can think back to the courtship part of their date dating life. And I'm, (laughs) I would say that the majority of people can probably say that they don't do now what they did then, you know, those grand gestures of, um, you know, riding to someone's house on a bike and giving them a rose in the middle of the rain, (laughs) 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 leaving a a card on their, um, or a message on their window shield, you know, when they're at work. So they come out and there's, you know, something there for them. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that Felipe and I, we, we def, we did more romantic things when we were dating. Um, and now if we try to do something spontaneous, like both of us are kind of like, what's up? Like, <laughs> what, what, what are you, you trying want? to do? You <laughs> yeah. know, obviously you guys need to kind of talk about this. Like occasionally we'll, you know, we'll try to do spontaneous things and it's just to be able to show one's love for yeah. each other. Right. Yeah. I think it's such a great idea. You know, my uncle David, um, he, every single year for his anniversary with his wife, he'll take her on a trip and it's always a surprise trip. She never knows where they're going. Oh, nice. So I don't know how that got started, but it's just part of that, you know, keeps them on their toes and they're dating, you know, even years, years after the fact. Um, and it's something I was thinking about. There's this old movie called Fireproof, um, which is like a Christian movie with Kirk Cameron, I think. Um, but it has a, a neat idea in it. You know, it's kind of this marriage on the rocks. And within the movie, they have something called like the love dare, the love challenge. And it has all these t- little things for them to do for the other. Um, not even really expecting that the other is going to respond to it. Um, but you can look it up online. They actually have the book you could buy and everything. So if you're drive for ideas, you know, look at that book or even get on Pinterest. There's tons of little things you can do and you don't have to spend a lot of money. I mean, you could put up Christmas lights in your backyard, throw out some pillows and blankets, a poor glass of wine and, you know, have a romantic spontaneous night. That's perfect. Yeah. Have a, yeah, have a, a kind of a, a a meal under the stars. Mm -hmm. Are you, when, 
I was challenging, um, I was challenging uh, people the other day about looking up at the stars at night. You know, I mean, when's the last time we actually uh, just pondered the mysteries of, of the night? So yeah, do that with your spouse. Cool things will happen. Um, so, uh, so Emily, number four, we're going to move on to number four is the key. Uh, number four key for marriage and help for marriage is to use words of blessings. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about the, the five love languages, words of affirmation is one. Um, but I think when I hear you say blessings, it's not even just affirming the other one, but, um, you know, offering them a blessing, forgiving them, you know, being positive. So there's a lot of different ways, you know, some of it can be written, uh, cards, words of love. Uh, one of our Colleagues here at the parish, Mary Robinson, who was in charge of family life, used to do something during her marriage prep classes where she actually had one person sit in a chair and the other um, fiance would walk around them and look at them and offer them these words of affirmation. So starting with like physically, what are the things that I love about you? And then going deeper, you know, what is it about your personality that I like? Um, What is it? that I see just within you and just giving that time to actually speak it out. And then they would switch places. So that's very intentional and very intense. Um, but even just doing that in a easier way written, I think it's really good to help remember to say those things because sometimes we just forget and we take it for granted. You know, Emily, I walked into one of their sessions when she was modeling that for the couples <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> as, as, as she was telling uh, her husband uh, the different physical attributes uh, she likes about him. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's marriage. So it's good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but uh, no, I think that's uh I think those words of affirmation, you know, Emily, we're so quick to be able to point out like the things that someone's done wrong or the things that we don't agree with. Right. And this whole point is that there's so much that people do that is good and that gels and, but we don't hear about that. Right. And we need just to be practiced and especially in marriage, how good it is for a couple to be able to articulate that. Now, it, it needs to be real. <laughs> it can't yeah. be all, you know, pretend and, and, and all that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, boy, once a month or once a week, there should be at least uh, a conversation of some sort from the, the spouses where they're acknowledging the good that the other person is in their life. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the statistic is, but I've heard that when someone says something negative, you know, at least tenfold, you have to say something positive to make up for that. You know, this idea of you have a bag of rice, you're going to just, the the black rice is going to like pop out at you and not all the other ones around it. So, you know, of course in relationships, there's going to be times where whether you're trying to help someone grow or something negative just comes out, you need to multiply that by all the positive things just to help balance it out, to fill their love tank um, so that they can receive <laughs> whatever negativity may come. Because yeah, there are, you know, part of marriage is challenging each other, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, everything's not, uh, you know, daisies and roses, you know, there are th- things that have to be, um, have to be worked on. And, and certainly that first year marriage, especially if anybody's listening to us in that first year, it can be really tough that first, that first year. There's a lot of things that two people independently trying to live uh, together, come together. And now they're trying, the two shall become one, you know, the big joke about the toilet seat being up or down, you know, that's real. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's real. But, um, but, you know, that's just a small thing compared to all the other things that uh, have to be worked on. So, yeah, that's part is real, but there's lots of good. There's so much good and there's so much uh, that just needs to be pointed out that about that good. And likewise, uh, forgiveness. I think this is important. You know, Emily, if if I mess up and, you know, I go to you and I say, Emily, you know, forgive me for when I did this and this. And then when you say, you know, Father Jason, I forgive you there's a release there. Right. Um, and for couples, I think, um, using that kind of language of forgiveness is important. Um, you know, a lot of times I I think there's obviously the severity of the, uh, of an infraction. That is something that uh, always is weighed, but, um, sometimes people just brush it off and say, you know, sorry about that. Oh, no big deal. You know, well, it, maybe it was a big deal, 
and maybe it needed to be more than, you know, a quick, sorry about that. Right. Um, maybe it's, it's, maybe it was, okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't uh, do what I promised I would do. And I, I was thinking of myself. And so I, you know, I just asked your forgiveness and, and, um, it's, I, I want you to know that I do love you. Right. I mean, that's that. And then the other person responding after that kind of vulnerable opening up on one of the spouses says, I receive what you've, you've said to me. And now I'm going to tell you, I've, I'm releasing it. I forgive you. That is that language of forgiveness is um, as important as the the language of blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just thinking forgiveness. That could be a whole other topic in itself. You oh know, they yeah, have like retreats on forgiveness and books. I mean, that's that's a hard one, but it is something that's so important, especially for marriage relationships. All right, so we're going to jump to the the fifth key because you know we're working on an hour now. So I know you guys uh, have been listening to us for a while. So the fifth key, and this is a uh, this is a uh, very important too. Um, is to ask for help in your marriage. Um, and ask for help means, okay, if you're a newlywed and you just are stumbling over the, the little things that are getting in the way because you're trying to live uh, as one now, you, you know, go to that couple that's been there married five years now and say, hey, how did you get through this, right? How did you work through this uh, thing that we, it feels like it's such a big issue. And that other couple will be glad to give their own experience and their own wisdom um, in that. Or if if you're an empty nester now and you're like, I don't know how to move forward. We have all this extra time. We're not living about our children. Like, how do I, um, how do we move? How do we rediscover what we're meant to be as a couple? Well, well, that's, um, there's a couple out there that is in that position, you know, that couple ask that couple over for dinner and say, Hey, you know, how did you get through this? How did you, how did you guys work something out? Uh, where, cause now you're, you're thriving. It, 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 I can see that. So, um, asking those mentor couples, uh, in, in that way can be a great, great help. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this is something that is so important and having those people that you can surround yourself that have the same faith values. I think we might've mentioned this in a, a previous episode, but you know, if you just ask anyone, you know, maybe a coworker and they don't have the same values that you do, it can go south mm-hmm. <laughs> real quick, the advice that they give you. But if you're truly seeking, you know, to strengthen your marriage, if you have issues, seek out people who are good mentor couples who have the same um, background that you do. If you're newlywed, you can go to that sponsor couple that maybe helps you with the focus. You know, it's not just for the marriage prep. It could be for beyond as well. Um, find a community that you can be a part of, reach out to the church. I mean, there's so many different uh, things that we have available, resources available for people. And we're constantly changing, as you mentioned, stages, you know, whether you're newlywed, whether you first start having kids or, okay, now your your children are adolescents and you're entering into that phase or, or be, you become empty nesters. I mean, life is constantly changing and those things are really difficult. So it's so good to be able to have friends that you can talk to that can help, um, help you get through those different stages and transitions. And you know, Emily, if need be, uh, the church has lots of good counselors too, Mm -hmm. right? I say the church, there's a lot of Catholic Christians who are fantastic counselors and you can find them on, um, you know, catholictherapist.org or something like that. Um, And you can see all these different counselors, but there's, uh, as a couple, if you, if you've kind of worked out with a a mentor couple and, and it's, you know, you still have some things, be not afraid to go to that uh, therapist and, and ask them for their advice. That That's what they've been trained for, right? So I think that um, it just requires a little bit of humility and it's and this day and age to recognize, you know what, uh, sometimes uh, people need that extra help. I would like to say, Emily, that um, the best marriages all have received help. Mm-hmm. And so our listeners, if you're, if you're struggling with something, uh, and you wonder, should I, should I ask? Yeah, get help. You know, people are, are, have the expertise and the knowledge, the wisdom, and they want to see you thrive as well. So these are the five keys, um, founded on sacrificial love is, uh, dates, prayer, spontaneity, language of blessing, 
and seek help when needed. And this will make sure that uh, your Valentine, <laughs> the one that you are uh, um, beloved uh, and, and, and the one that you're married to, uh, will be uh, in your life as your spouse uh, well until the end of your lives. Um, so these are, these are the, the, the five keys. Uh, Emily, do we have some tools that we can talk about? Yeah. So, I I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things within this episode. So just a few to hold on to that first one that you talked about dates. Um, The first tool we're going to tell you is break out your calendar and set some dates up. You know, you don't have to have all the details now, but choose a date at least once a month. That's Father Jason's recommendation. If you can't go out, do something in, um, but go ahead and put it on your calendar because if it's not there, most likely it won't happen. And then I would say the tool number two, pray together, um, talk to your, your spouse and figure out what is the best way that you would like to implement that. Is that something on a nightly basis you want to do together or weekly basis? But the same thing, if it doesn't go in the calendar, most likely it won't happen. So you need to communicate about it. And then I would say number three is pull up Pinterest, look online, come up with some spontaneous romantic things, or just think about what you did when you were courting and start doing that to bring up the spice in your life and help keep your romance as a part of that marriage relationship. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think if you're in a place that you need help, uh, you know, make that, write that down and make that commitment to uh, talk to your spouse and say, Hey, let's, let's seek out help as well. That could be next key. Awesome. Well, you know, I want to just thank all of our viewers. If you've listened this long, thank you so much. We really hope that this episode will bless you. We thank you for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Remember, we're all a work in progress. So be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home. And I pray for God's blessing to be upon all of our marriages and our families in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.